welcome to the Scottish podcast by Scottish people about Scottish things. We're three lifelong friends and displaced Scotsmen who get together to talk about our homeland, the weird stuff that happens there, and to remind us why we are the way we are. Welcome to This'll Do Nicely. Hello everybody and welcome to today's story with Rory. I am one of your hosts, Rory, and I am joined by Christopher. Uh, good evening, everyone. Or good morning. I don't know when you're listening to this. Yeah, it could be any time. Just can you just do hour by hour, please? <laughs> happy happy 10 o'clock. Happy 9 o'clock. <laughs> uh, well, it's Christopher, and we are also joined by Jonathan. Hello, hello, everybody. Hello, hello, gentlemen. How, uh, how you, wait, so do we need to do another disclosure for the beginning of this episode? Why, who's died now? No one's died. Well, nobody's died, but I just feel like we've been doing a disclosure about Sean Connery pretty much every episode for the past, like, two months, and now we're actually going to be talking about Sean Connery. Is it, it can we be done with the disclosures, or should I do one ahead of it? Is that disclosure or disclaimer? Isn't it disclosure it's a disclaimer? Like... disclaimer. Like, disclosure makes it sound like <laughs> We're you've got, reveal something. you know, some sort of horrible legal uh, yeah. trouble bothering oh, you. okay. So I need to yeah. <laughs> calling a press conference and then admitting to some <laughs> terrible deed that I did. Yeah. <laughs> to murdering Sean Connery. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I guess I guess this week is one of the few rare weeks in the past couple of months we won't be doing a disclaimer. <laughs> we finally like... finally got around to this episode. Unbelievably. So yeah, happy ninetieth and ninetieth <laughs> uh, birthday and third month birthday to uh, Sean Connery. Um, the big guy's still going strong. Um, no, no, we missed his, missed Chris, his birthday three um, months ago. Wait, uh, you, I, we, yeah, we've got some news to break to you, mate. Uh, have you got something to disclose? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, to have a pretty serious disclosure to make that um, Sean unfortunately passed not that long ago. Oh, yeah, sorry, mate. Oh, I see. I know oh, you're God. really looking forward to doing this episode, but yeah. Well, I was looking forward to doing it in like um, three bit chunks in honor of it being his third month birthday, <laughs> uh, his quarter birthday. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna Sorry. have to sc- scrap that now. It's it's an in memorandum um, oh, to honor goodness. the life past of Sir Sean Connery. Yeah. Oh, well. I, hate, wow. I hate to break this. I didn't. I didn't realize we were gonna have to do this live on air. Um, and Can you put a disclaimer before this episode saying that I was unaware? Spoiler alert! And I don't usually listen to the disclaimers in our in our episode. I just yeah. kind of fast forward. I do the thirty second bit, or at least put us on time and a half. <laughs> I am looking forward to the disclaimer. That's um, hello, everybody. Just Rory here. Um, you know the the comments that Johnny made in this episode, uh, he, they were made in jest. Uh, he is not xenophobic. Don't worry. Oh, oh no, man! Um, <laughs> Just taking a real left turn all of a sudden. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we need a disclaimer in front of the disclaimer. Disclaimer for that disclaimer. Um, disclaimer. All right. That's going to be season two. It's just a season of disclaimers. <laughs> the season two, the disclaimer season. I wonder. I was wondering how long it would take for us before we got into the the impersonations. Um, 
and that's it. It's I mean, like, it's the right episode. It's the right episode for it, you know. I, I so right off the bat, apparently he hated people impersonating him. Of which course is, he did. But I mean, if you I, got I mean, a voice like that, there's no avoiding it, right? Yeah, I mean, he's, he seemed like a bit of a grumpy bastard. Like as much as he was uh, a legend, uh, he was a bit of a grumpy bastard. It seemed like, and I don't think he quite liked. Like the attention, uh, he liked being handsome and famous, but I think <laughs> he just wanted to be left alone to it. Um, he's he's a, I mean we're gonna get into it, but he's a complicated fellow. He's definitely, he's definitely a human, shall we say that? Speaking on um, him hating his impression, like some people doing his impression, didn't you share a clip of, uh, or Johnny, you shared a clip of uh, the former Rangers footballer Ali McCoist last month talking about. <laughs> how he did an impression of him famously when he was in the Rangers dressing room a lot. And as the story goes, or as the story that McCoy said that uh, one day after Rangers were playing, Connery came into the changing room and and confronted McCoy about it. <laughs> and McCoy said that he used, back in the days of answer machines, he used, um, he used to do the Connery impression, which was basically right, yeah. saying, sorry, I'm not available this moment in time. I'm out there shaving the world from characters like Ernest Blofeld. And apparently he thought it was quite funny. And after a Rangers and Celtic game, Connery came in and was standing <laughs> right in Alan, front Alan of McCoyst. him and said, and he looked at him and went, right, smart arse, let's fucking hear it then. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. That's oh, great. That's like an ultimate Scottish showdown, isn't it? Ali McCoyst against Sean Connery. <laughs> Some great accents. Sean would take him any day as... McCoyst is like five foot four, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's not a, he's yeah. not a very tall guy. <laughs> fast, though. He's fast. Fast. It's very fast. So, yeah, if you haven't put two and two together yet, we are talking about Sean Connery today. We're finally doing the Sean Connery episode um, after months and months of research and study <laughs> guys so all right so when you when you think of sean connery what's the first thing that comes into your head like what do you what do you guys think of well james, james bond james bond obviously is it james bond yeah 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 i think so i don't think honestly i don't think it is for me like i'm a, a bond fan but i do think it's things like it, it's more the rock or the one with lasers Highlander. Entrapment, oh, lasers, entrapment. No, <laughs> I think it's probably because I was, I was, I, I watched a couple of the his original Bonds over the past couple of weeks, and I, I guess I forgot just how handsome he was, because he's he's a he, handsome guy. I oh, felt the sure, same. Yeah. I was like, wow, he was a he's yeah. very like amazing looking person. Yeah, he's, he's what um, I think one of our friends uh, described it as. He's not an actor necessarily. He's a movie star, so he's one of those people yes. that. You, you know, they're not playing a character. They're playing Sean Connery in a film, and it's because of his <laughs> piercing good looks. And yeah, no, I like in my head, I compare him to the likes of like Tom Cruise, who plays pretty much the same thing every single film. Yeah, but he's still so compelling and so watchable. Yes, yes, and and I think that's it. Like I obviously came to Sean Connery when I was when he was older. And because of that, I've got the older, grey-haired, balding, like Indiana Jones' dad, uh, Sean Connery, in my head. So going back to the old Bonds, I was just like, God 
damn, he's a handsome man. Um, and so it just kind also, of so young, but like amazingly long career as well, right? Like he was yes. acting from quite young to pretty old. Yeah, yeah. Considering like the stuff that he was still doing when he was much much older, still like huge movies back then, but. And that's the thing, like, so I think today we're not going to be able to go through it. I want to try and avoid doing just a list of his films. Obviously, he was a, a film actor, so we're going to be talking about a bunch of his films, but we're going to mention a few of them. But I want to try and give more of an idea of the man himself, where he came from and, and you know, his life and all that type of stuff. So I guess with that, uh, Sir... Thomas Sean Connery, um, and that's how that's, he was, wasn't born as a sir, but he was born Thomas Sean Connery, twenty uh, fifth of August, nineteen thirty. <laughs> like the, like the idea of being being born as sir, it's just your first name. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, yeah, just get right in the Queen's face by yeah. naming your child sir. <laughs> you move, Lizzie. <laughs> uh, so he was born in Fountainbridge, Edinburgh, uh, to Effie McLean who was a cleaning lady, and Joseph Connery, who was a factory worker and a lorry driver. They later had another son, Sean's younger brother, Neil. So like I said, his, his we all know him as Sean Connery, but his actual first name was Thomas Connery. Uh, Thomas. He was known as Big Tommy when he was a kid because he eventually grew up to be six foot two, but he was always a bit of a big kid. He was very tall. Um, he got to be known as Sean because he had a mate called Seamus, um, so his friends would call them, you know, Sean or Seamus, which, <laughs> considering his slight speech impediment, just makes me chuckle a little bit. He grew up in like a, you know, a working class family, relatively near the center of Edinburgh, uh, not a great area. He, it was, you know, the 1930s. He shared a bathroom with other people. He lived in a tenement apartment or flat. I don't think it was horribly uncommon, but it gets commented on a lot, like his upbringing, uh, you know, coming from a working class family, considering where he eventually ended up. But, um, you know, so many other people came from that same background as well. He apparently started smoking at nine years old, which <laughs> explains the explains the voice. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised as well. Um, it kind of gives us, it makes sense why he's got that gravelly voice anyway. It doesn't sound very. Doesn't have a very Edinburgh accent. I wouldn't say. Do you think? Well, he worked on that. Ah, so he well, did. That explains it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'll get into that in a wee bit. <laughs> but, that's why he started um... smoking so young. <laughs> so I need to get rid of this accent somehow. <laughs> yeah, he like had a number of odd jobs after he left school. He worked as a milkman, famously. He joined the navy when he was sixteen. Uh, kind of travelled around with the navy. He got two tattoos when he was uh, in the navy. One was classic mum and dad, and the other one was Scotland forever, which is just. <laughs> made me chuckle because it's just something that will kind of permeate through the rest of his life like his undying unrelenting love of scotland which is you know i definitely relate to and appreciate uh, and yet uh, also like sean connery you didn't live in scotland <laughs> yeah, exactly, just to leave yeah. it. i'm also <laughs> somewhere nicer so. <laughs> <laughs> so he left the navy after three years because of a stomach ulcer uh, apparently that's a reason you can leave the navy when he returned he did a bunch of other jobs and and you know this is it he came from a working class family he had to work to you know survive and that makes complete sense he was a lifeguard a bricklayer 
she was a coffin polisher, which I didn't know was a job. And just, I don't know, it, it sounds like an insult to me almost. Like, yeah. like a kind of joking, like, ah, you fucking coffin polisher, you. <laughs> like, I don't know, I can't. I can't not. I keep on yeah, thinking no one, about it. Since I mean, I read about when you it. think about it, if you showed up in a coffin that wasn't polished, like you'd want it to be polished, right? So it's definitely something some old biddy would comment on. Oh, did oh. you see <laughs> that coffin wasn't a very polished very well? Yeah, you could write your name <laughs> in it. Filthy, <laughs> disgusting. So he was also a nude model at the time as well. Um, so he's around like eighteen or something at this age. Uh, and I saw, I saw, I went digging. You know, if you've got paintings of Sean Connery as a nude model, I went obviously went digging into the dark web for it, <laughs> for them and found one. And it's uh, actually, I think I'm gonna, I think I might have it, and I might be able to share it with you guys. Just might as well do it. It is him standing with his back to us. And he's not fully nude, which was a little bit disappointing. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, let me see. Oh, there it is. Wait, here we go. Are we uh, going to show this, on, the, this? on our, our YouTube version of the podcast? Well, you're going to have to, like, tweet it. You guys see that? <laughs> oh, my. Wow. Yeah. That's, oh that's apparently... I mean, he, so he was a bodybuilder at the time. Um, that was part of what he was doing. And he's wearing a G-string. This was found years later, like decades later. This is apparently Sean Connery in his prime, like as a late teen, early 20s. I mean, he looks even from the... He looks pretty chiseled, right? Just Yeah. From... Yeah, exactly. Look at those buttocks. He's got a great arse. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, he spent he spent some time being a nude model, and then, like I said, he became a bodybuilder, and that's he started trying to do that professionally. He was competing as a bodybuilder. He, in fact, competed in the Mister Universe competition in the nineteen fifties. There's fun discrepancies over how well he did in these competitions. Um, his biography says that he placed third. But there's like no record of him actually placing third, so nobody really knows. He had a stomach ulcer, so he had to leave before the judging. (laughs) You guys are going to feel really shitty when it comes out that he actually died of a stomach ulcer. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he he died. Oh, oh God, guys. Uh, you, you listen to the disclosure at the beginning of the episode, Johnny. This is why you need to to read my emails. Like every other famous Scotsman who's ever lived, he also could have been a professional footballer. Oh, of course. Of course. Put him on the list. Was he on the books at Rangers? He No. Apparently, he was offered a contract uh, at Man U. Oh. What? Yeah. And turned it down because he figured that there was more longevity in acting than there was in playing football. Well, yeah, at that stage, he's obviously... I mean, he made the right decision there, didn't he? Back in yeah. back in that yes. day, he wouldn't have made any money as a footballer. But it, yeah, so it was part of the reason that he stopped bodybuilding was because it was... It, you know, it gets to that stage where you cannot do anything else other than just work out, and he wanted to still oh, be I know the feeling. He still to play oh. <laughs> I know, I know. You're You're much the same... Uh, you just work on your own calves. I can barely do anything else with my day. Yeah, except work out. And that was a problem. He wanted to play football, so uh, he gave up the bodybuilding, but he also gave up playing football 
in order to then get into theatre and acting. But before we move on to that, I want to talk about... So, talking about football and mentioning Alan McCoyce earlier, so apparently he was raised as a Celtic fan, like his dad was a Celtic fan, and that's how he was raised. But then later in life as an adult, changed to become a Rangers fan. Which wow. is Ooh, you can't do that, can you? You can't cross the right. city, can you? Is like insanely unheard of. Like he's from Edinburgh as well, which is a whole other fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, so he's given up in hearts and hibs. He's like grew up with Celtic, and then later because he became friends with um, David Murray, the former chairman of Rangers, and they became such good friends, and they went to so many games together. He basically was like, "Yeah, I'm a Rangers fan now." Wow, it's like I mean, it's not really an unspoken rule; it's just a rule. <laughs> you can't, can't yeah, flip. Yeah, interesting. You uh, you bring that up. My my dad has an old picture of him with Sean Connery and David Murray, and I think Graham Souness when he was the Rangers manager back in like what nineteen ninety or something, and it hung up yeah. in his office uh, for twenty five years or something like that. Uh, wow. That's just popped into my head. I'm gonna have to ask yeah, him to send that over. Yeah. I mean, that was it. That's when his allegiances switched. Uh, I just thought it was bananas, and you Can't know, eventually, that. that's we'll... unacceptable. That's yeah, yeah. Shame for on those him. that don't know about Rangers and Celtic. We'll eventually do the the old firm episodes. I'm assuming it's going to be an anthology, um, <laughs> and explain how insane that is switching from one to the other but uh yeah that's what he did and he was vocal about it It wasn't as if it was uh, you know rumored or whatever else he was pretty like yeah yeah i used to support celtic now i support rangers deal with it (laughs) all right i guess you are james bond so (laughs) fine anyway so uh, after the whole bodybuilding worked out, he, like I said, he started getting into theater work. He started acting. And in the 50s, so this is around the 50s now. So he's in his 20s. Uh, he's done doing some theater work. He, he like, to give him his dues, he worked backstage at theaters. He worked, he, he wasn't just going in and trying to become an actor. He wasn't just trying to be famous. He did his time and he worked hard at it. And he did a lot of like, you know, bit parts and small TV things and small movies and all that sort of thing. Uh, notably, he was in a film called Action of the Tiger, which was directed by Terence Young. And Terence Young would go on to direct the movie Dr. No. Okay. So Young and the producer Albert Cubby Broccoli were together trying to cast this film Dr. No. So Dr. No was going to be the first ever James Bond movie. But they were having a lot of trouble locking down who their leading man was going to be. um, Who was going to kick off this new franchise for them. And... Terence Young, who'd had this <clears throat> handsome but rough around the edges up and coming Scott in a film a couple of years prior, said that, you know, this guy might be able to work. And, you know, as we all know, it would eventually become Sean's big break is playing the international spy James Bond in Doctor No. Yeah, what year what year so, was Doctor No? Doctor No was nineteen sixty-two. Wow. Okay. So his like his break into film was like a, an enormous franchise. An enormous franchise. Yeah, he wow. was in films, but like nothing significant. He wasn't really a leading man. Right. And they did s- like that. seven Bond films. Was it seven, six, or seven? 
Well, that's a yes. point of contention, six, Johnny. I believe six official, one unofficial. But he was right. James Bond seven times. Yeah, was he the first James Bond though? Is this a trick question? It's a leading question, yeah. He wasn't. So, he wasn't the first person to play Bond. In 1954, Barry Nelson played an American version of James Bond in a TV version of Casino Royale for the anthology series Climax with an apostrophe. (laughs) Can be real because Chris told me in a previous episode that the Scots invented James Bond and he is Scottish, so I'm not buying it. Yeah, I'm going to have to... Can we... Pause for another disclosure if we're going <laughs> to include that seventh disclosure. <laughs> no, I still stand by the fact that James Bond is Scottish. He defined the role. He he patented it. That's the point. Like Sean, he did, an, did it. Unlike many other, he Scots. did in England yeah. on yeah. on the yeah, American yes. lad that played him, whoever that was. That's like one of those um, trivia questions. Like, who's the fifth Beatle? Like who was who was the exactly. first guy to play James Bond? I never knew that. I just always thought it was Sean Connery, Barry Nelson. Yeah. Barry Nelson. Yeah. Wonder what he's up to now. He, he also he also sounds like he's from EastEnders <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> Barry Nelson. All right, Barry <laughs> Nelson sounds like he should have a terrible stomach ulcer. <laughs> so um, yeah. So so Sean played Bond for the first time in Doctor No in 1962 and almost immediately became a huge star. He was only 31, 32 at the time. Famously, Ian Fleming didn't like him. Uh, You know, when they were first uh, auditioning him and meeting with him, he just felt he wasn't refined enough. Um, So James Bond, for those of you who somehow don't know, he is a British spy, international man of mystery, travels around wooing the ladies. He is educated at Eton. He knows fine wines and all sorts of... He's a gentleman spy, basically. Ian Fleming didn't feel that what he classes the overgrown stuntman would be able to fill the sh- the the role of his gentleman spy um but af- obviously after Sean played the role he recanted that and said he was perfect for it and as we mentioned in our previous uh, what was it uh, inventions episode um he changed Bond's background actually to be Scottish to give him Scottish So did Ian heritage. Fleming actually change his mind or did he just see that Bond actually was a bit of a box office success and made him a lot of money and then yeah. retroactively changed the story. We're like, yeah, oh, yeah, he's great. He's great. He's not wooden at all. Terrific actor. So much range. He didn't need range at this time. He was doing he was doing one character and he was perfect for it. He he had the perfect role for his first yeah. role. But was Ian Fleming not part of the casting then? Like if if he didn't like him, was he trying to stop it, or was he just not involved? Yeah, it was a whole thing. So, um, so the director obviously suggested him. The producer, Cubby Broccoli, was not quite sure. Ian Fleming didn't like him. They essentially turned him away. And the famous story is that uh, Cubby Broccoli's wife said, "No, no, you should. He's he's got like an incredible amount of sex appeal." He's incredibly good looking. You need men to, you know, want to be him. You want women to want to like be with him. And she told them to look at him walking across to his car 
in the car park and he said look at him he walks like a panther which is which makes complete sense because he has he was this six foot two um bodybuilder frame he was obviously like we said so many times he's very very handsome but he also trained to be a dancer for like 11 years Mm. Uh, and i don't know how much he'd done i don't know when that started and when that finished but he was obviously elegant um in the way that he moved which makes complete sense it gives him that like refined danger that james bond needed it it gives him the physical presence it gives him the the you know he looks good in a suit but at the same time he can move in a way that is kind of dangerous and stealthy the movie poster this is brilliant refined right exactly exactly writer i know i know um but it's the same thing it is the same thing that like daniel craig has i think that's why he's so good at what the, the role now is because he's got the same sort of thing. He's chiseled and good looking, but he moves well. And anyway, this isn't about Bond. This is about Sean. Um, <laughs> so one of the things I didn't know that I only found out the other day was that he wore a hairpiece for at least Goldfinger, but potentially all the Bond. Yes, this is a. Really? This will come up later when I talk about the Hunt for Red October because it's a a great story. But yeah, he went bald very young. Or started going bald very yeah. young. So yeah. Which is which is totally and he was always pretty open about it. It happened when he was like in his twenties. He started losing his hair, which happens to the best of us. Um and but the point was that like you know, what they had in their head for James Bond was that he would have more hair than Sean Connery had. And so he had these small hair pieces. And I had like I was watched um what did I watch? Russia with love from Russia with love and Goldfinger and neither of them would I have ever known that he had a hairpiece without yeah. having read oh. about it and like other movies he has insane hair so you're like well obviously he's wearing some sort of hairpiece so that makes mm. sense but um, yeah I had no idea uh, so something to kind of think about but those films were huge they were also and we'll get into this a little bit more, but insanely misogynist. Like watching <laughs> Goldfinger the other day, like the beginning of Goldfinger is nuts. There's a point where he's getting attacked by uh, some villain. Isn't it odd, odd job a, in uh, Goldfinger? Which no, it's oh, I mean, odd job's bad yeah. enough, but like it, it's just some other random like henchman. And he turns a woman into the line of fire, essentially. And the guy hits the, the woman over the head with the kosh just to protect himself. And then there's another point where he's with a, a woman. Um, Felix, the, the USCIA guy, comes up to him and is like, oh, we need to talk. And Sean's like, eh, well, James Bond is like, you should go now. This is men talk. And then as she walks away, he like slaps her on the ass and just like... Ooh. Well, <laughs> okay. This is this is, I guess, what James Bond was, and it's just like it was the time and all that type of stuff. But looking back, like the, like all that shit would never have flown today. Doesn't age well, does it? To be fair, though, no, like not, it, Bond, the new Bond films have only just got round to like sorting that stuff out. Um, like, yeah, you know, I think hardly. the the new one, which hasn't been released yet, I believe, has a female 007 in it, and you know, yes. it's still. They they've refined it a little bit, but he's still like sleeping <laughs> yeah, with not much. everything in sight, and he's 
you know, because people would be like, you can't have James Bond be a feminist. That's not what he's about. So, yeah, that's the thing. They've got an audience. They know who their audience are. And like, I, you know, I, I like them as well. But it was just looking at those old ones was shocking. Yeah. I was like, wow. Um, I, I do have a question for you, though. Like, do you think the Bond franchise would exist in the way that it does without Sean Connery? Um, uh, I don't know really. I, 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 I'd have to compare it to some of the other films that are out at the time. Like, I think he, I don't think it would. Probably in the the Bond franchise was very much, uh, um, dying. Uh, with after Timothy Dalton had done it and they rejigged it a bit with Pierce Brosnan, but then again it was kind of on its arse a bit and then Daniel Craig came along and kind of saved it and they turned it into more of a kind of born identity type thing updated it and uh but I, I doubt it would have stayed um for yeah. as long I think also like because they were one they had someone so like he is a bit like uh he's iconic on screen like he's good to watch she's sort of mm. holds a, a screen well and all, all that stuff that like filmmakers love and then i think all the following ones you just constantly were compared he was like the benchmark for it it's like how do you how do you find a bond that can do what he did in the first place and so it sort of became this almost like ongoing competition to better it in ways yeah yeah i mean that was a thing like bond was almost like an immediate success like people just fucking loved it when it come out uh, they, so yeah i kind of agree like i don't quite think it would be the success without sean connery there's a lot to enjoy about the bond films in terms of like the cars the gadgets the action the you know intrigue there were well-written stories all that sort of stuff so I, I do think it was good but he just i think he was the perfect casting in the perfect time one thing I will say is that there's a rumor originally that the script says that when he introduces himself, it just says, I am Bond, I am James Bond, and he improvised the, the names Bond, James Bond, which if that's true, that's fucking massive <laughs> because like that is like that's that's like his second line in the entire like all the films like that's the second thing he ever says and it's just so iconic yeah well I, I, you that's why when you asked what do you think of when you think of sean connery you think of james bond that's i think the two of them are intertwined you know sean connery isn't sean yeah. connery without james bond and vice versa mm -hmm. um so like no, I, I to, yeah. he stamped his You're character right. on it, and I don't find it surprising that he ad libbed the most one of the two most famous lines, "Shaken, not stirred," being the other one. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. Yeah, Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond is like one of the most famous movie lines ever. Um, so Johnny, you watched. So he was in. <laughs> I, I'll say what he was in. Yeah, so he was in uh, Doctor No. Uh, in 62 russia with love 63 goldfinger 64 so they just like bashed them out and by the time it hit goldfinger goldfinger was friggin massive like mm. apparently there was like crowds at the premiere that were near riots they were like smashing down the doors of the cinema that was being held in and like sean wasn't even there like people were going bananas it was like the biggest franchise um in the world at that time then 65 was thunderball 
then um, 67, you only live twice, and then 71, diamonds are forever, and then he came back years later for Never Say Never. But Johnny, you watched... Um, I watched Thunderbolt, and basically the only reason I watched that one was, one, I hadn't seen it before, actually, I realized, and two, it was on one of the services where I didn't have to rent it. I was like, I'll just pick the one that's available. I mean, it was... I mean, I know we're we're talking about him and his legacy. It it wasn't very good, I'll be honest. I mean, it's the the thing is also going back to the old ones. They're so hammy, like they're just yeah. so ridiculous, and like all the sort of like little quips and one liners. And if even you know you you know now like the Bond series has gone a bit boring. They've made it much darker. It's all like quite serious. And when you go back to like even the sort of like fight scenes and that is so cheesy and they're like they like speed up the camera and it all feels a bit like kind of ridiculous but i mean it's just what you expect it's like him making little off-the-cuff remarks about stuff and like he comes out he's in a spa at one point and comes out this like irrigation room and he's like see you later irrigator just like wow it's so much hammier than i remember any of them being really but is Thunderball the jetpack one? Yes. So that is there's one amazing bit in the opening of it where he I mean, compared to like the effects you get these days, it's so mm. brilliantly green screened where it's like little models and like him <laughs> yeah. with a kind of fake background. But he he has this big fight scene. I mean it's very beautifully set actually, like all the scenery is amazing and he has this sort of fight scene in a big lavish kind of country home place and then it sort of jets off in this massive jetpack uh to escape from it and it's just brilliant because it's so like puppetry in a way but it's yeah. you know it's right because it's all the like the heyday of q and the gadgets and all that stuff yeah um, but he yes yeah, it, it's definitely one of the ones i hadn't seen before and i was like man it's it's much worse than i thought it might be <laughs> i do i i'm not i'm not surprised it did seem that um after the first few, they just kind of bought into their own hype, and mm. you know already you just had to tick the boxes. Like, what was what car was yeah. he driving? Yeah. Which woman was he sleeping with? What was the latest gadget? Who was a bad guy? And yeah. what exotic location was he fighting in? And then just yeah. so I fill in the fill in the framework, get the catchphrases in there, and then away you go. Yeah, it did make me think. In one bit of it, he he gets shot and starts bleeding, which. Maybe I've just not watched a lot of Bond films for a long time, but I was a bit like, he never sort of gets injured, really, does he? Like, he doesn't bleed much. And I was like, oh, he's actually bleeding. That's sort of slightly more human version of James Bond. Sorry, I know this isn't about James Bond, but... No, I know. It's hard not to talk about. Doesn't Daniel Craig have... Doesn't Daniel Craig have to use an EpiPen in Casino Royale? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he almost dies. No, I, I, and I, I think that's why it's worth going back and watching those first three films, um, the first three that, that Sean was in, the first three James Bond films proper, because they don't have, like, they're adding, like, Q isn't in Dr. No. He first arrives in From Russia With Love. The Aston Martin isn't in the first two. It arrives in Goldfinger. And I don't even think that they have, like, the big... I think Goldfinger is the first like proper song, the first time that they have like the title song and all that sort of such thing. a banger so, though, like, such a good song. Oh, yeah, great brilliant. song! I forgot how good yeah. it was. Um, but I also every time I I hear like when I sing Goldfinger in my head, it's always like I think it's probably because of um, 
uh, Alan yeah. Partridge, but it's always sang in like a sort of like it's almost like a scout. I can only accent. sing in Partridge's oh, accent finger. because of um, yeah. the scene in the show when he's walking down the motorway singing it. <laughs> he's a man, man with a Myra's touch. Um, Such a cold but, finger. But, <laughs> but the point is that they don't have all the cheesiness in those first three films. They build up to it. So by the time you get to the third one, it's. I think it's one of the first times in the third one was is when he makes one of the quips after somebody dies, and so it, it makes it more palatable. And I didn't watch uh, Thunderball, which is the fourth one in the, the series, mm. but I can. Just, I am not at all surprised that they're just. Like, <laughs> it's all this stuff like he, he shoots a guy with a harpoon at one point. He's like, I think he got the point. So. <laughs> <laughs> God, God, come on, guys. Do you know what? Sorry, this is not about this film, but like it does have, I presume for the time, must have been quite hard to make, like really extended, long underwater scenes where there's like 20 people fighting each other with like scuba masks on, which I thought, I actually oh, wow. thought, that must have been really difficult to make a long yeah. time ago. And that bit of it is quite impressive, but the rest of it's just a bit cheese bags. So he did Thunderball. 65 then he does you only live twice in 67 now in between 67 and 71 there's on her majesty's service which george lazenby does uh the australian james bond um and then sean comes back for diamonds are forever and this is a whole thing because he didn't want to be James Bond anymore. He didn't want to be typecast. He wanted to go and do something else. And then Lazenby came in. And Lazenby wasn't great. Some people like him. Some people don't. Uh, and then eventually Connery came back and was like, yeah, I'll do it. But I'm going to do it for $1.25 million. And that was like an unheard of sum of money at the time. Everybody went bananas. But he came back and he did it. And he got that money. And this is going to be a bit of a theme with him. Like, money is a, a weird thing that is attached to... Talked about, like, all the research that I do on him, or I did on him. Like, so many people talk about money and the way he handles his money and what he does with it and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And it's weird. But he gave the entirety... Like, he, he, like, negotiated this incredible sum of money for his fee. And then he gave it all to setting up a charity in Scotland the Scottish International Education Trust. And so he didn't keep the money that he kind of fought pretty hard to earn for mm. this film. I just thought it was a bit weird. So that's like that's him that's his last like James Bond proper movie. And then like I said, something like uh you know, twelve years later he comes back as like a mature James Bond and never say never again. He's like fifty three at the time. And there was um, some. Was there some in between? At had that Roger point? Moore already well, been James Bond then? Or? Yes. Right. Yes. Exactly. Um, like other people came back. There's other James Bonds. He comes back and does it. And it's not. It's an unofficial one because of. It's something that was like you know it's based on the character obviously, but somebody else wrote the story. Another studio wanted to make it. There is lawsuits. Yada yada yada. Eventually, essentially, ends up being a remake of Thunderball. Uh, oddly enough oh right i didn't realize that apparently um i i don't know i don't know if i've seen it to be honest um i can't remember they do all kind of blend into one after a little right while, exactly it, i think it would be interesting to see this like older mature mature james uh, james bond sean connery is the older james bond but 
Anyway, so that's that's the last time he did it. So he officially was in six of them, um, unofficially in seven. Um, one thing to note is he 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 apparently just got rid of all his James Bond memorabilia, like throughout everything, like just <laughs> didn't great. keep it all. Like even the stuff that would have like sentimental value or actual financial value, just didn't care about it to the extent where there was like points where he's phoning people up when he was meant to be writing his autobiography asking for like photos and stuff from from like fans and super fans but anyway <laughs> yeah, it, it does seem like his relationship with bond in general was very fraught and very mixed i think he realized that bond made him who he was but he didn't particularly like it he says at times that he hated bond he would want to kill him himself but like he also cares who plays him and he has like pretty strong opinions on different actors playing him and is happy when it's been done right it's i don't know it seems odd i can imagine it's difficult when it's like 40 years later and you're still getting asked questions in interviews about a character you played you know like i said like two decades before was any of his coming back for the unofficial seventh like a reaction to what he felt about roger moore or was it unrelated i don't know well maybe next time you could do a bit more research we can include a disclosure at the next episode, and Rory can uh, have that little bit just there. Thanks, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, we'll. Um, I'll I'll bring that up when Daniel Craig dies. Oh, no, <laughs> don't don't die, Daniel Craig. You, I really like you. You're a very handsome man. You've got beautiful blue eyes. James Bond made him obviously into a massive international star and you can't talk about Sean Connery without talking about the ladies in his life and everything that happened with him and the ladies in his life. So his relationship with ladies was complicated. I mean... that's not really true. He he just <laughs> shagged all of them. I, I think just every single Seem, woman he met. Seems quite simple, than, really. Like the ones related to him. Yeah, I think it was actually pretty simple to be fair. Um but yeah, he was he was like a true heartthrob. And it, it was weird. I had to get to, I got to the point where I was like reading so much about him and so many interviews and so many people were just saying how beautiful he was and how stunningly good looking and how mesmerizing he was to be in the presence of that. I was like, you can't not talk about this. You can't spend time talking about it. And to be fair, they're right. Like looking back at these older films and even his later films, like he is a devastatingly handsome man. And I'd never really thought about it until I look like properly looked at him. And I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. Okay, I get it. That's why you can He's... face down someone like Alan McCoyst and shut him up. Just <laughs> yeah. ultimate handsome chap. He's very well put together. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, him. and he ages pretty gracefully as well. Yeah, but it is surprising how how many interviews with people and how many, especially women that he's worked with, that are just like, he is so beautiful. He's an Adonis. <laughs> he, I couldn't be in the same room with him. It was just gushing about how handsome he was and i've just never read anything about anybody else quite the same way he obviously had an aura about him 
I've got a theory about that, though. I bet you that um, a lot of the Hollywood leading men types were, you know, fairly buttoned up and, um, uh, you know, not as exotic as Sean. And I'd imagine a big strapping Scotsman in Hollywood uh, now would clean up. But um, I think back in the day, probably in the 60s and 70s, just uh, using his accent there and um, he would be irresistible. Oh, absolutely sure. irresistible! He sure. paved the way for for us later when uh, we came over. And, um, <laughs> an American women, for some reason, Made it in Hollywood. find find our accent sexy. Well, that's I mean that is a thing. He was tall. Like I said, he was like six foot two. He was a former bodybuilder, so he had the physique. He was obviously rich, and he was famous. He was he was James Bond. Um, and Where he had the Scottish accent. He obviously looked good in a kilt. I don't think it did, and that's part of the problem with him, <laughs> that it just continued through his entire life. Like, <laughs> So he won numerous Sexiest Man Alive and Sexiest Man of the Century and yada, yada, yada awards throughout his life. Like, I, I tried to find a list of them, but couldn't. I think there's genuinely too many of them. He obviously had that like bad boy charm about him. I think he was just like... he was very pretty from very young age so he was arrogant and he was a bit like i said a bit of a grumpy bastard so he had that attitude about him and i mean this definitely people will find this insulting but like you know chicks dig jerks as marblehead johnson said (laughs) he just went through women like nobody's business but he was married he was married twice he married diane cilentro in uh salento sorry in 1962 uh she was australian she was an actor herself when they met she was married and she was pregnant but they eventually got married in 62 like i said they had a son together jason jason became an actor himself as well jason Bourne, yeah Yes, that's right. Right. And I, actually, to link back to our Weasel Johnny, her, I think this would be her third husband, was the writer of The Wicker Man. Wow. The, there you go. Who she married after divorcing Connery. And I will come back to her later on, but his second wife, after divorcing, uh, or, 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 you know, yeah, eventually after divorcing Dan, he married uh, Micheline. Rockbrun. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right because this one more time. This happens all the time where I realize that I I've written names down. And I've read them for like three weeks, and then I'm like, oh, the moment we start recording, yeah. I don't actually know how to pronounce. One of them. our readers absolutely uh, rins us for getting a Gaelic phrase wrong uh, a couple of episodes ago on Twitter. Butchered it. Uh, yeah, so I don't know what the excuse well, this is, is here. This is a French just, name. French. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, R O Q U E B R U N E. Rocky, Rocky, or Rock Brun, Rocky Brun, Bruni. All right. So Michelin, they met at a golf course. You know, on the, the on the surface, this is very much a love story. They they met on the golf course. They apparently like locked eyes over, you know, I don't know, fairway or whatever. <laughs> He didn't speak French. She didn't speak English. But at night, they both spoke the language of love. Oh, wee, wee, wee. Yeah. And to, to quote her, 
She grabs hold of me and kisses me passionately, almost brutally, animalistically. His skin releases a scent, not of hot sand, but almost like Silex. A a warm and intoxicating smell, like stones rubbing against each other. I'm transported. I should do this in a French accent. The four days that follow, we continue to play golf like strangers. Then we meet to make love like crazy people. The reality is even better than fantasy. No man has ever had this effect on me. That is that is a, a direct that quote is the from most her. That's what she French said. thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> they, it was like immediate love at first sight and animalistic love at first sight. They didn't speak to each other during the day. They basically treated each other like strangers. But every night for like four or five days, they met um, and made passionate, wild love. Eventually, they both returned to their respective homes. Two years later, he contacts her and invites her to join him in Spain. And he says, I- I've missed you. I can't stop thinking about you. And I can't forget, I can't forget you. Two years later, did you say? Or two? Two years later. Yeah, yeah. Two years what the later. hell has he been doing for two? Married with kids, just oh. like she is. Oh. The two of them, the entire time, were both married with kids. Like, the whole thing is just like... And it's, it's this, like... So... He does eventually divorce Diane Cilentro, and uh, in 73, he marries... Do you think Diane Cilentro is called Diane Coriander in uh, the UK? Well, that, that's, like, that's a problem, like, even, like, saying that. It's like, give the fucking up her name. I feel bad, but... So, the, yeah, the entire time that like they were having this, like, insane, passionate love affair, it was an affair. Like, they were both married, but they... They stay together right until his death um, this year. And, and I, like I said, on the surface, very much a love story, but it just has a dodgy beginning. So I'm going to go back to Diane, his wife, and like other issues that he has with him. Johnny. What, what, yes. <laughs> what, what is your opinion on slapping women? Like, are you pro? I don't align with John Conray's opinion on it. Say that. Right? I would like to just get ahead of this. We are a non pro slapping women podcast. Just like we I are. I mean, this is the best. Just like we are a pro he, he really takes consent a, podcast. Yes. Yeah. He really agreed. takes a, a dark turn here, doesn't he, in his history? And then he not only has a terrible line about it, but I think doubles down on it at one point. It's just like. Oh, he. He triples down on it. Oh, he does not, yeah, does not shy away from it. So yeah, like the most famous time this comes out this is Barbara Walters' interview in 1987. She basically calls him on the fact that previously he had said that it was okay to slap women, and it was okay to hit a woman. And he was like, basically, do you think it's good? And he's like, ah, oh, I don't think it's good. Um, but when all else fails, and and to to bring the full quotes, like if you've ever tried, if you have tried everything else, and women are pretty good at this, they can't leave it alone. They want to have the last word, and you give them the last word, but they're not happy with the last word. They want to say it again and get into a really provocative situation. Then I think it's absolutely right. And what she's referring to is a Playboy interview from about ten years, no, twenty years earlier, it's nineteen sixty-five. And he basically says that an open hand slap is justified. And it's just like the reasoning is not good at all. 
It's like, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong about hitting a woman, although I don't recommend doing it in the same way that you'd hit a man. An open hand slap is justified. If all, all if all other alternatives fail, there has been plenty of warning. If a woman is a bitch or hysterical or bloody minded or bloody minded continually, then I'd do it. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, you're you're basically like just saying like, yeah, it's fine to slap a woman, to hit a woman when you're having an argument. I think uh, just agree to disagree on that one, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Bananas. Like, the, it, it, it's, it's nuts. And then there's like other interviews later on where he's like, yeah, I said it, I still believe in it. And then eventually it's like 2003, he's like, no, no, there is no excuse to ever abuse a woman. I don't agree with it. Oh, it really and took so his time point, to, <laughs> to change his mind. Yeah, it was like 40 plus years. But, so obviously somebody that says that, like he's thought about it. It was a well thought out uh, comment that he made. He's been in that situation before and it's it's supported by the fact that his first wife, Diane, claimed and this is all alleged because obviously none of it can be um proven but she claimed that he was very violent and the story that she tells in her biography is pretty rough he basically like sucker punches her while he's drunk because he's jealous of a like somebody he's dancing with like she comes into the room at night um and like clocks her as she walks in and like basically knocks her unconscious and so it's just like it is horrendous this story that she tells and based on the the and he's he's kind of half denied it but uh, uh, like this this whole controversy around his feelings towards abuse and violence towards women like it comes up when he's trying to write biographies and when people are trying to interview him and he like has walked out in interviews because of it he's he doesn't want to talk about it during his biographies he is just generally like very evasive around it and that to me is suggestive that what it was said is got uh, at least a strong grain of truth about well, it yeah i mean um, of course like you know he's gone on record initially saying it in 1965 and then is as you mm-hmm. said doubled and tripled down on it there's no um there's no way around it and you know you could say that the the first wives m- may have an axe to grind but you know there's quite a lot of yeah. evidence there to the contrary that he was doing that. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And and so as much as there wasn't like necessarily, as much as like he said that stuff, there wasn't evidence that he did it. Uh, there was very much a lot of people coming out saying that he was sleeping with them while he was married to these two ladies. It's, it's quite a dark history in a way. And he's sort of yeah. quite universally proclaimed about being a great actor and a you know spokesman for scotland and all that stuff it's like it's it's easy to like push that all to the side but it's pretty pretty awful right yeah i know undoubtedly like this is definitely mars his uh legacy no doubt and like i i think if these types of comments and interviews had come out these days he'd be done I think he was lucky that it was like the 60s and the 80s. 
and but it, it, it but i i do think that's why it was like i was thinking about it when we were like we were researching billy i didn't find anything bad it was just like everything mm-hmm. everybody was just like positive about him everything that people would say was just like yeah he's just a brilliant human being he obviously had a bad upbringing and all that type of stuff whereas like with sean it was like yeah he's a great actor he was a great friend to certain people and he was like obviously like i bet he was a fun guy to go out on a night out but he was also an arsehole in different ways as well like that's i mean it's clear it's i know a lot of things are circumstantial and you hear stories but it's not something that went away through his career it's like it's sort of followed him pretty consistently about these stories of what he's been up to it's like oh it's hard not to be like clearly some slightly dark underbelly to him oh yeah yeah after bond and during his many dalliances with all the ladies you know he he really wanted to be more than bond he was definitely desperate to be something else he wanted to be seen as a proper actor and not be typecast uh he went on to have a pretty varied career um definitely in terms of like the style and genre of movies that he was in but i think and we mentioned it before like he was pretty much roughly always the impossibly handsome rogue he was typecast to a degree he didn't have a huge amount of range and then like slightly later he was the impossibly handsome mentor and that's all he was basically but like i do think he has like a slightly bigger list of good movies than a lot of people or or at least like many people realize so i'm gonna just rattle off a few of them and then we'll talk about like you know chris you've been mentioning the hut for red october so we'll get onto that but like there was a marnie which was a hitchcock movie that he was in um very well regarded murder and orient express which is obviously very good the man who would be king which he was in with Michael Caine that's and it's arguably like or he says that's his favorite movie he was in he was in uh Robin and Marion with Aubrey Hepburn where he played like an aging Robin Hood which I haven't seen but I'm kind of interested in that story it sounds kind of cool uh The Hill which was very early on in his career but is like critically acclaimed a lot of people love that uh later on he was in Highlander which is bonkers it's a cult classic um got a great queen soundtrack considering it's a film like based around scottish people in scotland he plays a spaniard it's an interesting choice isn't it uh, yeah yeah <laughs> super weird film he's in the sequel as well which i don't doesn't he get his head cut off in the first one i don't think he does oh i thought that was kind of the whole it's been a long time since I've seen Highlander, but I thought the whole yeah. like thing that set off Christoph Lambert was that Connery gets his head cut off at the beginning. I might be wrong. He probably comes back, gets a stitch yeah. back on. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I mean, he's Sean Connery. Yeah. He can do exactly. what he wants. The Rock, which is just phenomenal. It's the like, best one of the lot. Yeah, Michael Bay's Arguably best his film. best film. Arguably Connery's. Easily yeah. Michael Bay's best film. I didn't realize that was his. <laughs> yes, easily. Yeah. Very, very much worth a watch. The Untouchables with Kevin Costner. He won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in that. It's very, very good. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is just phenomenal because it's an Indiana Jones film. But also Connery is brilliant. He is perfectly cast as Indiana Jones' dad. Like I I would say that is his second best, best casting. Makes complete sense to me. I love it. I think it's awesome. Finding Forrester that came out uh, like 2003-ish. It's meant to be very, very good. 
I've not seen it yet, but I'm, I've put it on the list to watch very soon. And then, yeah, Hunt for Red October. Yeah, so, so I watched this the other night. Um, I read the book fairly recently, um, just needed a book to like pick up in a airport or something like that. I can't remember why, but it, it, the, air, the book is very dense uh, and goes into a lot of technology and stuff about submarines and the Navy and the Cold War that you're like, you could, this could be about 200 pages shorter. And so the, the film is a little bit like that as well, but I'm not going to go through a full synopsis of the film, but I'll just tell you a little bit about the background of it and a couple funny things from it. So Connery apparently needed... Connery plays the Russian Ute submarine captain in it, and Alec Baldwin plays Jack Ryan, so the, he's the American hero. Um, it's a young Alec Baldwin as well, when I guess he was kind of, you know, had aspirations to be a leading man. Um, and Connery apparently needed a little bit of help prodding to take on this role of the kind of wily Soviet sea captain. Um, and I love... The director was John McTiernan, who directed um, Die Hard, and he says that oh, really? uh, he know. says that the the big thing to get Connery was assuring him that he could get people that he uh, that he could get people to buy him as a Russian, and that he wasn't going to make him pretend <laughs> to talk in a silly accent. Now everybody always kind of jokes that Connery just never bothers with an accent. Any like you know, in any of his movies, yeah. he just does Sean Connery's. But I love the reasoning here that McTiernan said that he rightly concluded that an American audience would just accept any accent, even Scottish, as Russian. Um, and that's why <laughs> yeah. throughout the film, the other Russian officers, like Sam Neill, who's from New Zealand, plays one, and Tim Curry, who play, is British, and they all... <laughs> like, there is a good, there's a good little bit in the film. They all start out... They all start out... Is it just a case of, like, they're all just like, well, fuck it, if Sean's not doing an accent, I'm not doing an accent. I mean, I don't actually know that bit, but, like, they do quite a good a, a good little technique in the film when they are all speaking Russian to begin with, and then the, um, the camera zooms in on their conversation and their mouths and then zooms back out and they're all speaking English, uh, which I thought was kind of actually kind of cool. Nice oh, that's kind of cool. Round it. Um, yeah. The the best thing about the film though is is Connor going back to you talking about him being bald is his hairpiece, uh, which apparently like shared top billing. Um, the, as, as a <laughs> running joke there, um, McTiernan said that Sean had kind of made a thing of going bald nearly ten years ago um, to prove himself as an actor and that he wasn't going to do anything phony in front of the camera. And yeah. um, he thought that uh, Con Bald Connery winning uh, the Oscar for The Untouchables had kind of like confirmed his bona fides. Um, and and so therefore, you know, he didn't have any kind of, you know, uh, he, he wasn't insecure about who, how he was as an actor at that point. So he decided that he wanted yeah. to just go with this wig. Um, but the ludicrous thing about it was that apparently this wig cost $20,000. Um, and after consulting with wardrobe and makeup department, he arrived on set on a, uh, for his first day of shoots with a ponytail. Um, and he, he was playing a Russian Cold War captain. Um, and McTiernan said in this interview that he was fucking livid with Connery. That was the phrase that he used. <laughs> and that 
Connery tried to use his considerable clout with the studio and he went over his head to pass up this alteration with the producers and thought that he was going to get his way. But then midway midway through the second day's shooting, the director of photography started laughing when he was kind of reviewing the, the dailies and told Connery that his ponytail looked like a limp swinging dick. <laughs> so this then became a running joke amongst the crew and by the end of the second day Connery was so upset at being mocked that he he relented and he went back to he he, he had makeup remove the ponytail and he and he forced the reshoot of a key suit the key scene <laughs> supposedly because of that this $20,000 hairpiece mainly was mainly down to the cost of the the reshoots and the the final wig that you see is apparently just worth about 10 bucks <laughs> which is just crazy that Connery just That's thought ridiculous. he was that but the nice thing about the film is that he came in as a sort of last minute replacement for another actor and as a result he attracted quite an eclectic collection of supporting actors um like James Earl Jones and Stellan Skarsgård and a few others um, and there's a good anecdote that his mere presence in the set, as we've discussed him being this movie star, um, made everyone stand to attention. And McTiernan says, in the first five minutes on his first day in set, Scott, Sean excoriated the assistant director and it terrorized all these Russian like extras who were playing the sub sailors. And the assistant director figured out that what Connery was doing was that any time he did anything or walked past the sailors, they were like, oh shit, he's this big scary guy. Because <laughs> he was playing the captain, so they all kind of stood to attention. Yeah, yeah. And apparently as well, Baldwin was quite intimidated by him as well, because Baldwin was this up-and-comer um, and apparently had a bit of a strop at one point and thought they don't actually meet on camera until very late in the film. Baldwin apparently was like shitting himself that basically he was going to have to act across this guy that looks like 10 million bucks and that no one was even going to recognize Baldwin. But apparently when they started acting, they realized that Sean was quite generous when it came to other actors. And um, yeah, like, yeah, obviously Sean is the driving force of the film. Uh, but Baldwin holds his own in it and it's fine. So anyway, Red October is pretty good. I would say it's, but again, you just like, oh, it's Sean Connery. You don't, you don't get lost in the yeah. role. Like, you just think it's amusing that Sean Connery is technically playing a bad guy. Mm. Yeah, and I, that's, I think that's the thing is like, you can. I'm going to talk about the, the film that I, one of the films I watched just last night, uh, because he he doesn't play. He talks about his voice a lot, and and everybody makes fun of him for the fact that he doesn't do accents, and like no matter who he's playing, he just does his own Scottish accent. And I, I meant to come back to the fact that like Johnny, you were saying he doesn't have a particularly like Edinburgh rough mm-hmm. Edinburgh accent. Like when he started acting, he went to classes. Like when he first turned up to speak to people in Bond, for Bond, apparently he was like a rough edinburgh accent but he went and got i guess like essentially elocution lessons to refine it right and i just don't think he is good at voices and that's fine like like i'm not either i can't do voices chris you can do at least three so you're (laughs) you're the most talented on the podcast but um <laughs> um, you can do more than three. You, at least the man, four. The man of the man of four voices. <laughs> He's got this amazing, incredible sounding voice, and it's so distinctive, and he can't do accents. So I kind of get it, where he just like 
fuck it, I'm just going to do my voice no matter what. What I find funny is that he, every so often, people take the piss out of him or, or question him on it, and he comes up with different reasons behind it. And he's like, well, you know, the emotion should be the same regardless of the accent, or like, if I start doing different voices, then I'll lose who I am in the role and whatever. And it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's like, like I just can't just be arsed like, to do another accent. Just leave I'm me Sean alone. Connery deal he's with clearly very, accent. or he was very full of himself i think that comes across and yes incredibly arrogant yes. yeah he's tall handsome and well built like i get it like he's kind of like i he's he's got a, not necessarily a right to be arrogant but i can kind of see where it came from at least yeah so that being said let's take him down a peg or two he, he was in some good films like we just said but he was also in some stinkers uh so there was the avengers not the the marvel avengers but mm. the tv the remake or the movie version of the tv show which was starring ralph fines or rafe fines and uma uh-huh. Thurman, and sean connery was the bad guy in it I, I did see it long long time ago like close to when it came it's out awful. and i just remember never want to see it again terrible yeah. i don't even remember him being in it he he could control the weather i think oh. <laughs> I think sounds, that's sounds all I familiar. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which effectively resulted in him retiring, which I'll mention later on, but like that was also awful. He wasn't bad in it, but it was just a bad film. And then Zardoz. So Zardoz is one of those things which is bad, but some people find it amazing a lot of like people who are into weird sci-fi really enjoy it i watched it for the first time last night and so you might know zardos from like every time there's a sean connery like article or talk about him the photo gets shared around like twitter or facebook or whatsapp or whatever uh, of him in red pants like red underwear and red bandoliers probably holding a gun with a big ponytail. And that is What Zardos. is it about Sean Connery and ponytails? Not... He just loves them. Loves yeah. them. Loves them. Well, when you're balding, like, you know, you just you want to embrace... He gets it in his like contract that. writer for every film. <laughs> I'm assuming neither of you have seen or know anything about Sadly Zardos. not. I mean, no. I know the picture that you're referring to, but sadly, not seen the film. I... I, I think I could do four episodes on it. <laughs> I also think that each one of us could watch the film separately and then like come together and be like, oh, do you remember that part? And none of us would remember what the other person was talking about. <laughs> it, it is one of the most messed up films. Not messed up, but like bizarre films I've ever seen in my life. Like it is bonkers. I I like weird films i like old 70s films i like messed up films this was bananas i he's definitely done a lot of stinkers for someone that's so revered as a great actor i mean i guess maybe yes. it comes with the territory that you just do them and do them and do them but like he's done a I lot just, of terrible films to give you an idea and this is some spoilers for this film but to give you an idea of what zardos was that the name is based on the wizard of oz but you take away the wi and the of and that gives you zardos <laughs> one of the very first lines in it is guns are good the penis is bad 
and it's like some <laughs> post-apocalyptic like there's immortal people there's uh, exterminators he is some sort of like neo character but he plays like basically a neanderthal for a long time so he doesn't say anything for the majority of the film and he doesn't he's always wearing those red pants he never changes into like a, a proper costume was it like his passion project or something like that he had just done uh what is it diamonds are forever his last of the official bond films and that was the one where he negotiated the excruciatingly high fee the the chat is that he was struggling for work and so john berman who had just like he he's um he directed deliverance um, which is a like massive film. Everybody knows he did Excalibur and a few other films as well. Um, a good director, but he, he just coming off the back of Deliverance, um, studios were basically like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. And he was like, he wrote um, Zardos and was like, this is what I want to make. And they're like, sure, fine, whatever. Sean apparently wasn't getting any work, so he was able to attach Sean to it. And I just think it was like this weird passion project from John Berman, who is the father of Charlie Berman, who did The Long Way Round with... Oh, with Ian McGregor. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah. And there's weird stories around it where like they were going to hire a driver for Sean Connery to come and pick him up every day. And Sean was like, no, no, just give me half the money you're going to give to the driver and I'll drive myself. It's again, those weird stories around money associated with sean connery and you don't know if it's to do with like this small budget of this film or if it's to do with like him being kind of tight with his money or what i don't know if i recommend this film (laughs) it's kind of one of those ones that like you kind of want to sit down after a few drinks with a bunch of friends and just be like what the fuck are we watching like this is nonsense oh i don't know i like i said i could do like four episodes in this film alone I mean, if you if you think I can't tell if you're trying to sell the story to sell the film to us or I don't know. it's a cautionary tale now. I mean, I'm I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> so that was Zardos. That was one of the many films he agreed to be in. But there's also a surprising number of like high profile roles that he turned down. So he was asked to be the architect in the Matrix movies and turned that down. Yeah. He turned down the role of John Hammond in the Jurassic Park movies. Big mistake. Yeah. Huge. Um, Simon Gruber in the Die Hard with a Vengeance movies. You know, you remember Die Hard with a Vengeance and there was... That's Jeremy Batman. Irons' character in the third film, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so he turned on that. Odd, uh, King Edward I... In Braveheart, he was going to do that, but couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts. That's like that was surprising. That's like switching from Celtic to Rangers, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's exactly what I thought. Yes, yes. Uh, Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Wow. I he he said it was too violent for him. He just didn't want to do it because it was too uh-huh. violent. Okay. Wow. So he also this one is fascinating to me he's turned down the role of gandalf in the lord of the rings trilogy okay um which i feel would have been weird for him to be gandalf i don't see him doing it i like those movies i think uh e mckellen does an excellent job I, sean connery i guess he apparently turned it down because he didn't understand the books but 
they offered him 15% of the box office to be in oh the film. Oh my god. Wow. Right. So that apparently equates to 450 450 million dollars. Oh my god. So apparently turning down Gandalf cost him that much, like almost half a billion dollars, which is bonkers. There was also chat of him being, and this has happened a couple of times, of him coming back and not being James Bond, but being in Bond films. Most recent and one that almost happened was him coming back and being in Skyfall. And you remember in Skyfall when he goes back home to Scotland and it's a character played by Albert Finney. Um, he's like Is the, like the sort of housekeeper yes. guy, yeah. Ugh, that would have been so crap, though. I would, no. That would have been terrible. It'd be total, like, cognitive dissonance in the whole thing. You'd just be like... Because actually, there's some... Because that film's a bit more, like, dark and real in a way. It would just feel like a total random moment of, like, da yeah. Yes. And then it'd be like, is James Bond doing a time jump? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's so, a new doctor. You guys had the exact same thought as, like, Sam Mendes, the director, and the, the producer... Um, I think it's Barbara Broccoli because it's still like it's still the same like Cubby Broccoli's like great grandchildren or whatever or grandchild I don't know but yeah they they had the exact same thought it was like it would just take you out of the movie entirely like you wouldn't be able to like connect like it doesn't make any sense to have him yeah so I mean God there's so much so I, I I've got this other list of like just things like interesting things about him and I don't even know like like he. Obviously, he was very private. Um, there's a number of times that they tried to write an autobiography or like they tried to get him to write an autobiography. There was one time in particular where they gave him like $5 million to write it. And he was like, yep, I'm going to do it. And he got a ghostwriter in to, to essentially help him write it. And he eventually was like, fuck it, I can't be bothered and just gave the $5 million back. <laughs> he was just private and a bit of an arsehole just didn't really care about all that kind of stuff he was knighted in 2000 it was at the opening of Hollywood um, the Scottish Parliament which I think is one of the few reasons why he would be knighted I, I get the feeling that he wouldn't want I, I don't see him as a royalist wasn't he originally going to be knighted and get blocked by by Donald Dewar yeah he's a massive yes. uh, he's massively pro-independence isn't he or he was Yes. Yeah. Till he succumbed to a stomach ulcer. <laughs> finally, finally got him. Uh, huge S&P supporter. Yeah, exactly. Donald Jura was like, well, because of his politics, I don't want him to be knighted. Which is... To be fair, Donald Jura could have just gone because of that interview he gave in Playboy 40 years ago. I don't want him to be knighted. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. People would have gone, yeah, all right, fine. So yeah, once Donald Jura was done, they knighted him in 2000. Speaking of politics, I, I watched an amazing interview with him on Parkinson, and Boris Johnson was on it as another guest. <laughs> and this was like when Johnson was the editor. What was, what was the editor of this, back in the day? Uh, The Spectator. Spectator, yeah. yeah. Sean was there being edited. It was it was around, yeah, it must have been 2002, 2003, because it was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen they were talking about. And he obviously hated Boris Johnson, who is, to people that might not know, our current Prime Minister, and a big blonde twat. Um, but he... Sean obviously hated him and just kept on taking the piss out of him. 
and Boris Johnson didn't know what to do. Like he kept on taking the piss out of Eton, the the school that Boris Johnson went to, the same school that Ian Fleming went to, that James Bond was meant to go to, and to the point where there was like the awkward moments where Sean Connery was turning around and he's like, just take it as a joke, don't worry. Like take it as a joke that it is. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Boris was obviously like, whoa, 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 it's, whoa, whoa. I knew you were going to say that. But it's very much worth a watch. <laughs> Yeah, he got he got a lot of shit for supporting the SNP because of the whole like we mentioned earlier, like he was living abroad, um, he was donating to the SNP and like fighting for Scottish independence, but wasn't living in the country. He got a lot of shit for being a tax exile, which is, you know, fair to a degree. But also, his wife was French, so that's I think is a factor. Like I think you're 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 insane to say it's not, but. He was also donating a lot of money to Scottish charities, um, especially Scottish educational charities. And you might not agree with his politics, but by donating to the SNP, he's still feeding money into the Scottish economy indirectly in some ways. So I, I get the arguments to an extent, but I also don't think it's necessarily entirely fair. He had his wrist broken by Steven Seagal, who was the. Are you getting to the bottom you know, of your notes by any chance with that one? <laughs> yeah, I'm getting to that. Like, this is it. It gets to the point where it's just this list of, like, insane things that happened to him. He was stopped once by a police officer for speeding, and it turned out that the police officer's name was Sergeant James Bond. <laughs> so I'm at the bottom of my list. <laughs> Good. This podcast's been going on for about five hours. Well, he's 90 years or he was 90 you years old. You didn't have to reenact the whole plot of Zardoz for us. We could have cut that out. Oh, I could tell you, I could talk about that film for days. We really, really appreciate you dressing up for it too, but I mean, we want to see it out in the... I don't look as good well, as post it, the photo. Much like and a naked yeah. Sean Connery, it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> So, after his turn as Alan Quartermain in the 2003 production of The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was a very poorly received representation of Alan Moore's comic book, uh, he announced his retirement. It basically seems like this was a bad film. He was done with Hollywood. He was already kind of like, you know, losing steam anyway. But he kind of came out and said he was like done with Hollywood and done with the idiots who run it, essentially. And he didn't necessarily say that like everybody in Hollywood was an idiot. It was just that there was a lot of guys there that he didn't agree with. And he'd been retired for, you know, a number of years, 17 years now. And then just this year, Sir Sean Connery, Sir Thomas Sean Connery died in his sleep on October 31st, 2020, age 90 after suffering from a long-term undisclosed illness. He was cremated, and his ashes were scattered in Scotland. Which makes sense. Oh, I didn't know that. It's nice. Scotland forever, life, and beyond the grave. <laughs> I like how the two of you both so took him. a sort of a drink in the exact <laughs> same position there, so wistfully thinking about Sean as he passes passed on into the next life. <laughs> We're just thinking about getting your matching tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's Sean Connery. I mean I, You're right. Do you wanna I, do you wanna <laughs> breathe out for a second? Yeah, there was a lot more to him 
than I expected. Which I, I guess I should have like he like I said he was ninety years old. I should have guessed, but yeah, if we'd done the podcast two months ago, it would have been a significantly shorter podcast. Yeah, screwed yeah. up. Um, yeah, for complicated legacy, I think is the way to put it. Um, you know, he's revered as this hero uh, and the number one Scottish export, uh, but there's no dancing around those comments. Really, it's pretty. Uh, no, Pr- pretty yeah. uncomfortable reading. Yeah, he'll. Uh, is he? Is he a good actor? Uh, yeah, I wondered that earlier. I'd, I, I'm not convinced he is in a way. I just think he's so iconic that he's interesting to watch, and I think he does command the screen well. He's a movie star. I don't know if that necessarily makes him a great actor. He's a movie it? star. He's a movie yeah. star. No yeah. doubt about it. Um, I I can agree with you, Johnny. Like, I love watching him in films. Like, watching The Rock the other day was just like brilliant. I could have watched yeah. his character. I want to see more of his character. Watching the Bonds was brilliant, but like, he doesn't become another person. He doesn't like mm. embody a character. I don't. I look at Sean Connery, and I'm just like, that's he's brilliant he's so charismatic i want to see more of this person same way as like i'm watching like a like i said tom cruise yeah you don't, you're not getting lost in the character in the film you're just watching an interesting yeah. person on can screen. you imagine him in lord of the rings if he'd accepted that role it would just be you'd be thinking oh god it's sean canry in a, in a wizard's hat yeah <laughs> yeah with a ponytail it's james bond with a staff would love to hear him say you shall not pass <laughs> a wizard is never lit <laughs> he's a fascinating man I, I do think he has built an entire legacy on being tall handsome with a good accent and a good voice it's it's impressive I'll give him that it's very impressive. He is very. I mean, cool. it was a pretty savvy choice for him to, you know, turn away from professional sport and go acting's the one for me. I mean, he obviously made the right choice, right? Back yeah. Then, except when he turned down the billion dollar <laughs> ticket and yeah. the, yeah. the rings or whatever. He's definitely he's definitely got whatever the it factor is. He's got that. Like, there's no doubt about it. He's got mm-hmm. like whatever it is to make that makes you cool. Johnny, any last Sean thoughts? I just I, I was thinking just then about the tattoo, the Scotland Forever one. It's, it's it does strike me quite funny. He's like such an avid lover of Scotland, but moved to Barbados. I just yeah. think there's something very. I think a lot about like I feel like when I live here in the states, I'm like the tourist board of Scotland. They're always telling everyone how brilliant it is, but I have chosen to leave it also. Yeah. And it's uh, I just but you know you can love it when you're not there, and that's fine. Yeah. Well, I think that's what he did. A lot of the, a lot of his life was love things when he wasn't there, particularly his wife's. Uh, Chris, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Wow, <laughs> cutting deep. Chris. Well, one final thing that I would recommend to our readers out there: um, uh, my favorite depiction of Sean Connery is um, the Saturday Night Live Celebrity Jeopardy sketches. Oh, yeah. Daryl Hammond, I think it is, plays Connery and um, Will Ferrell plays the recently deceased Alex Trebek and there's about a dozen of them and they're, they're all on YouTube. Go watch them. But they're very, very funny. Uh, he plays just a belligerent um, contestant on the show that derails it constantly. It's very good. 
and I, it still makes me chuckle every time I watch it. They're they're incredible. Yeah, look, he was he was a very flawed human being. Um, he he, I think he was one of those like, you know. <sighs> overly confident handsome young men and then was given the perfect casting of being this like incredibly super cool character he he was a brilliant james bond he would have been a fucking terrible spy like being six foot two and that like distinctively good looking like riddled with venereal disease yeah (laughs) yes yeah but yeah, there's no doubt he he is a legend, and he's just got a lot of like you know not necessarily skeletons in the closet, but like a, a lot of problems that that kind of dogged him through his life. But he has left uh, a hugely impressive body of work, and I would say you know go back and and l- watch those, especially those first three Bond films. Go back and dig through his older films. Um, the ones that you might not have heard of. And if you're looking for a bananas time, watch Zardoz. <laughs> the only the only remaining question I've got, Rory, is whether you're going to take the opportunity to close this in his accent or not. I... Thushall do, lads. <laughs> Thushall do nicely. Thanks for listening, everybody. Just a couple more things. Please don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and all other podcasting apps. You can email us at thisldonicelypod at gmail.com. Visit the website thisldonicelypod.com. Visit us on Twitter at thisldopod. All original music in this podcast is written and performed by our very own Johnny Naismith. Please like and subscribe to his YouTube channel and follow him on Instagram at J-A-W underscore K-N-E-E underscore loves hugs and kisses from the Thistle Do Nicely pod. (laughs) This is the way we wash our balls, wash our balls, wash our balls.